What kind of mood are you guys in today? You in a good mood? Ready to, ready to be challenged a little bit? You're like, well, let me see what you got first. The average American churchgoer, the typical American churchgoer, does not like a Sunday morning sermon that raises more questions than it provides answers. We don't like that. Makes some of us nervous. We want a we faith that has all the answers. And if we're left with questions, we, we think two things. Either the preacher doesn't know the answer, or worse, there might not be an answer. The, the average American churchgoer, they want an inspirational, inspiring message. The shorter, the better. With a little motivational punch at the end to sort of get them out the door for the next 14 days. 14 days. Because <laughs> the average American churchgoer only goes to church two Sundays of the four in a month. You see, uh, we are the product of the sitcom generation. We, we want a message where we meet the characters quickly. We encounter the dilemma, the problem, the tension, the challenge. And then we get a heartwarming life lesson. And then we bring it to a happy resolve, kiss and make up everybody's friends again in about 30 minutes or less. And if you make it funny, that's better. And if you throw in a couple of commercial breaks so I can run to the restroom or the refrigerator and get back without missing anything, then it's the perfect sermon. There's just one problem. There's certain discussions about God and faith that just aren't that easy. They can't be shrink-wrapped and a pretty bow placed on top in 30 minutes or less. In fact, you may take the rest of your life trying to find the answers to the questions. Because they're complex discussions with enormously complicated implications to real life. And today's one of those discussions. And part of what makes discussions like these so challenging is that we are finite human beings. We are finite human beings trying to grapple with understanding and explaining an infinite God. And it's not easy. So for the past three weeks, I've been introducing, defining and describing a topic topic the sovereignty of God and for the past three weeks all I've been doing is tilling the soil kind of setting the stage for the hard work 
Today, the hard work begins. The hard implications of a discussion around the sovereignty of God. So here's what we have so far. We have sovereignty. By definition, it means absolute in authority, unparalleled in supremacy. So sovereignty as it relates to God is that God makes the rules and the buck stops with him. And that he's unparalleled. There isn't another God in the universe. There isn't anyone like him or his equal. There's no one above him. He's the one and only supreme creator, sustainer of the universe who is the sovereign God. A definition is that God can do whatever he pleases. He can do whatever he pleases that's consistent with his character, his nature, his divine identity. But he can do whatever he pleases. He is not subject to the opinions and the judgments of mankind. As we saw in the second week of the series, human beings don't get to tell God how to do his job. Nor do they tell him where to be or what time he needs to be there. And so this sovereign God, as we've described him the last couple of weeks, here's a couple of characteristics of what he's like. He is infinite in his intelligence. He's smarter than any human being ever, all human beings ever. He's infinite in intelligence. He has unlimited strength. He's unconditional in his love. His promises are irrevocable and his faithfulness is unshakable. Which leaves us to believe this. And this is an historic Christian belief. It is this, that the safest place on earth is to be a child of God living under the watchful care of the sovereign sustainer of the universe. You all with me? So when we see definitions like that, and when we sort of put all the clues together of what we learn from the Bible about a sovereign God, we start operate, we start developing a, a, a set of beliefs about how we're going to look at life. And so we make this sort of conclusion, and this is reasonable, and this is rational, and this is intelligent. It's reasonable to believe that sovereign means God is in charge and therefore we draw the conclusion it's logical that if God is in charge then God is in control. And we as Christians we operate from a foundational belief that God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. He's in charge and he's in control. And then stuff like this happens. Real stuff. Real life. Real lives. And sometimes when these things happen, thousands of people, their lives are impacted by it. And sometimes your life is impacted by it. And sometimes the people that you love, their life is impacted by it. 
And we see these things happening in our world, and it seems like they're happening more and more often, that they're becoming more and more prevalent. And then we scratch our heads. And we start thinking thoughts and we say, but, but, but I, I thought, wait a second, I thought God was in control. I thought God was in charge and this, this God is love and he's compassionate and he's just. And, and how in the world do these sorts of things happen? And so, so we say, wait a second, Paul, if you are telling us that God is sovereign, that he's divine, meaning he has no limits, that he's omnipotent, he's all powerful, he's loving, he's faithful, then, then nothing awful should happen to innocent, good, and valuable people. Good people, well-meaning people. People making contributions to our society. Nothing awful should happen to them if God is in fact in control. Innocent. This, this all is particularly disturbing to us when these kinds of things happen to children. I don't know how many funerals I've done over the 35 years that I've been a pastor. And it's been, it's been the father to small children. Who's passed away. And we think this isn't fair. So how do we reconcile that? How do we put all that together? What we believe to be true about God. And yet what we see sometimes in very personal ways. The chaos of our world. And what happens in our lives. And what happens is that when we see it, we feel stuff and we think stuff and that's reasonable. We feel stuff. We, we feel confused and we feel disappointed and we feel discouraged. And sometimes when it becomes so overwhelming, we feel disillusioned and sometimes we feel angry and then we start thinking stuff. And the thinking stuff looks like questions, real honest questions that we ask. And we ask questions like, is, is God in control or not? Does he care or not? Is he capable or not? Is God real or not? Because we can't reconcile what, what we assign to being a sovereign God and yet the stuff that happens in our life. You with me? Yep. You ready to dig down deep? Sure. I got one taker. <laughs> So we, we work from this idea that God is in charge. I mean, that's what it means to be sovereign, right? And this God that's in charge, he, we, he's divine. He's, per, he's powerful. He's righteous and he's just. We learned last week that he's also compassionate. And he's gracious. He's merciful and he's faithful. But what we tend to forget sometimes 
is that there's a dilemma. There's a tension. There's an obstacle. And it looks like Satan and sin and the fact that the sovereign God of the universe granted us the most incredible power of all creation, and that is the power to choose. And we don't always make the right choices and other people don't always make the right choices. And sin has had this enormous influence on our hearts and lives as people, as human beings. And it makes us incredibly selfish. And so some of the answers to reconciling this is found here and understanding this. So you want to talk about that? Well, I hope you do, because that's what I'm going to talk about next week. Because if I start down that rabbit hole here today, it'll be 20 minutes and I'll go overtime again. And I'm trying not to go overtime because I want to honor our faithful volunteers and our children and our student ministry. And I want to be a good team player. So this is just a sneak peek of what I will be talking about next Sunday. Folks, I've been exploring my Bible, reading it, studying it, meditating on my Bible since I was a kid. Started going to church in third grade, and when I say went to church, we were there church at all the time. If I wasn't at school, I was usually at church. I didn't really like the religious part of church. I didn't like the rules. I didn't like the legalism. But I, I was curious about the things of Scripture. And then I went to college. I went to a, a Christian college where we studied the scriptures. I got a Bachelor of Science in Biblical Studies. So yes, we had history and we had English and we had science, but we also spent a lot of time studying the scriptures. And then I went to five years of graduate school. I got a Master's of Theology degree, and I've had a class in every one of the books of the Bible. I've had a class in every one of the categories of theology. I've had lots of classes in, in like, um, spiritual life and faith. I, it, so I, I'd say all that to say I've been around the Bible a long time and I've, I've thought about it a lot. And I've come to the conclusion that in the pages of the Bible, God is asking one question. He asked it in a hundred different ways. But from Genesis to Revelation, he's asking one question. And the question is this. Will you trust me? God wants to know if you will trust him. It's interesting how we experience church if we grew up in church, going to Sunday school, going to big church, as we call it. It's interesting how we talk about faith. We almost always talk about faith from the point of view of success. We talk about the people of the Bible who were successful in believing and trusting God 
and we see their stories, and it's not like they never, you know, make mistakes or drop the ball, but they, they, they tend to rally, and then they come through, and they, they trust God, and they go on to big things. And that's, that's the impression that we have of faith. But rarely do we hear the other stories. The other stories. So it's interesting in the New Testament, there's a, a book. We call it a book. It's actually just like a record, a letter. Um, we call it the, the book of Hebrews. And the book is about faith. It's written to Jews who had become Christ followers. And they were finding that following Christ as Jews were really, was really hard. It came with a lot of social implications that they weren't necessarily prepared for. And so the writer's writing a letter to encourage them, don't give up. Don't quit trusting in Jesus. It's worth it. And in the 11th chapter, which wasn't in the original letter, that's just a device that's been added to help discussions like this. The 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, um, the author's talking specifically about what faith is and how it works. And then he goes through about a dozen names of people in the Bible that we meet whose faith was really dynamic and strong. And he rehearses their success stories. And it was a way to sort of, you know, encourage and motivate the early Christians. We got to stick with it. We got to stay. We got to stay true to our trust in Jesus. And, and so here's some of the names that, that he rehearses there in that 11th chapter. And, and we recognize most of these. But there's a, there's a little paragraph at the end of this chapter that I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on. No one ever talks about this one. And the writer says, what more shall I say? I, I, I don't have time. I could tell you about Gideon because his faith was amazing. And Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. I could tell you all about the faith of the prophets who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised to them. They shut the mouths of lions like Daniel. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength and, and who became powerful in battle and they routed foreign armies and women received back their dead who were raised to life again. Oh, we love those stories of faith. And then in the next verse he says, there were others there were a few others. And here's their story. They were tortured. Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute. They were persecuted, mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and, and holes in the ground. And, and yet these, they were all commended for their faith. 
Yet none of them received what had been promised. Not a single one of them got what they were trusting for. Since God had planned something better. These are people that lived their entire lives trusting in God. And when everything was going so terribly. They never saw the good days. They never saw the successes. Yet they continued to trust. Just because something doesn't make sense doesn't mean there isn't an explanation. I mean, some of you in this room, you could explain how electricity works. Most of us can't. Some of you, you could explain how Wi-Fi and Bluetooth works. Most of us can't. Some of you could explain how magnets work. Most of us can't. We can't explain space completely. And there's even less knowledge and understanding about the oceans. Yet we still believe in those things. We still keep learning more about them. We don't just give up. So sometimes in life, things will happen that don't make sense. That's because we're human beings and we can't understand the ways of an infinite God. And just because God hasn't doesn't mean he can't or that he won't. It just might be on a different timetable. Are you following me? There's going to be parts of our faith, our discussion about God that doesn't make sense. But that doesn't mean the pursuit of trying to understand it rather than giving up isn't a worthy thing. Here's some things that we as Christians have to wrestle with if we're going to be honest to our faith. If it doesn't make sense, God is asking, will you still trust me? Just because you can't figure it out doesn't mean that there isn't a plan. God's asking the question, if it doesn't seem fair, will you still trust me? If it's difficult and disappointing, will you still trust me? If it's painful and heartbreaking, will you still trust me? God is asking you one question. Will you trust me? You know, all my life, I have loved the underdog story. I love movies about the little guy that takes on the big machine. And one of my favorite movies is the movie Rudy. 
Now, if you've never seen it, it's a story about a young man. He grows up um, outside of Chicago. He's one of 14 children. His dad is a, is a miner, a coal miner. They're poor as dirt. And the one bright spot in their home every week during football season was to watch the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, the football team. And so Rudy grows up sitting in the living room watching Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. And as a little boy, all he wants to do is grow up and play football for the Fighting Irish. Goes through elementary school, goes through high school, plays high school football. Now he's off to college, and there's just one problem. He doesn't have the size, he doesn't have the strength, he doesn't have the speed, and he doesn't have the smarts to get into Notre Dame, let alone play for the Fighting Irish. But he holds on to his dream. And he ends up going to a junior college to try to earn the grades to gain admittance into Notre Dame. And his dream is on its last breath. It's the final hour of him figuring out how in the world he's going to get into Notre Dame to be able to go out for the practice squad. And in this scene in the movie, he goes and he sits in a Catholic chapel and he's just he's just at his wits end and this this elderly priest who he's met earlier in the in the story comes and sits down in the pew in front of him and Rudy's asking this question he says what what, what more can I do can you help me can you help me get into Notre Dame what more can I do and the priest says something that when I heard it, it struck me to my core and has been a mantra of my life since, particularly in my role as a pastor. And Rudy says, what more can I do? Can you help me? And the priest says this, son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible truths. There is a God, and I'm not him. And I can stand here today before you as your pastor, and I can say... In all of my years of religious study, I've only come to two hard, incontrovertible truths. There is a God. And I'm not him. And I can't explain him to everybody's satisfaction. And I can't explain him when I have the questions and when I have the doubts about the stuff I see happening in my world. And at times 
has come close to home and happened in my life. But here's what I'll tell you. That if you haven't already been through the storm, if you're not already going through a storm, there's a storm in your future. It will happen and it will be hard and it will be harsh and it will be painful and disappointing and discouraging and perhaps it will be disillusioning. But I will tell you that in the silence at the bottom of that storm, you'll find a God who's asking you one question. Will you trust me? Will you trust God? And only you can answer that question. Make sense? Thanks for listening. Let me ask you to stand together. If you want to hear more, I'll be back here next Sunday. Would love to have you join us. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to make your acquaintance. I'll be here at the front of the auditorium. Just come up and introduce yourself. Let's shake hands and give me a chance to try to learn your name. Let's pray. Father, help us to get it through our minds and our hearts that just because you haven't doesn't mean you can't or that you won't. God, give us just the smallest amount of faith to trust you with the timeline of our life. God, make us the kind of men and women who no matter what happens and how hard it is, how hard it is to explain that we will continue to trust you with our life. Make us those kinds of people, I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.